Welcome to another episode of The Impolite Psychologist. So the word narcissist, I think, gets used way too much where people just sort of consider that like another word for somebody with a big ego or high self-esteem. And this is really a clinical diagnosis. And what's interesting about it is there's sort of a flavor to every diagnosis and particularly to narcissism. I have referred to this book before called The Wizard of Oz and Other Narcissists by Eleanor Payson. And she does a really good job of giving us the flavor of what a narcissist tastes like or feels like. And she does divide it up into two types. The kind that we're sort of familiar with, the people who are flashy, who drive the expensive car and and they want everyone to know about it, the people who dress in expensive clothes, who are always bragging, the people who only associate with other really successful people, They might have gone to an Ivy League school and they only associate with people who also go, who also went to an Ivy League school. So this is what we're familiar with. We know these people. We're familiar with these people. The other one, maybe not as much because I think it's harder to detect. And that is her description of the martyr type. And these narcissists are people who are constantly reminding you, maybe in subtle ways, how much they have sacrificed for others, how good of a person they are. They are so selfless. They do for others. They give up themselves for other people, et cetera, et cetera. So while we're very familiar with the businessmen who are super greedy and want more money and that kind of narcissist, the martyrs are the ones who are more like penniless, but they really need to let you know about everything they've done for you or for other people. And so they need everybody to think of them as a good person. And I feel like on a societal level, people have done this through really simple ways. Through the use of social media, for example, changing your meme to something that's going on politically, whether we're talking about supporting Ukraine right now, that's a big one, changing to the Ukraine flag, or um, supporting BLM, or uh, letting everybody know that you are vaccinated and believe in vaccinations. To me, this is that stuff. This is that sort of like narcissistic, look at me, I'm such a good person, and yet I haven't really done anything except for changed my Facebook profile pic. So I find that to be on the side of the martyr type. Tell me I'm a good person. Look at how much I care about people. Look at how much 
I sacrifice for the good of everyone else. And I feel like that's just as phony as the flashy people with all their stuff and good breeding and education and all that stuff. So what's interesting about this is that I think we all have narcissistic tendencies on some level. We all have stuff we want to get from other people and things that we need from other people. And we think about our relationships in these sort of narcissistic ways, you know, what can I get out of this? And I think truthfully, honestly, all relationships are like this. We are trying to figure out what we can get from all of our relationships on some level because if you are getting nothing from a relationship yourself you probably wouldn't be in that relationship anymore whether we're talking about friendships or romantic relationships or even familial relationships people don't stay in situations with other people in which they're not getting something from it so during the last year or so I have been involved in more stuff about investments, listening to books, listening to podcasts about investing, and I've gotten hooked on it. I used to read more psychology books, but the reason I got hooked on all of this financial stuff is that there is so much psychology in investing and your relationship with money and your relationship with the world of work and being an entrepreneur and all of that it's a different kind of psychology for me and i think that somebody who might listen to me and listen to things about psychology on my podcast may not necessarily be listening to investment podcasts but i can tell you that the investment podcasts are just as psychologically savvy. Case in point, David Green is a real estate investor. And I think he's unique because he at one time was a cop and he sort of left his day job and, and went into real estate investing. And I think he has like a good perspective on both the world of work and the world of investing. But what's interesting about him is that he was just sort of he was talking about people looking for mentors in the world of real estate investors recently. And he talked about it in such an interesting way. And he basically said that people who are new to real estate investing are going to need mentors and they're going to look to people who are, who are already successful in real estate investing to get, advice. And what ends up happening in this situation is you have somebody who's sort of a newbie walking into a brand new field and needing to pick the brain of somebody who's done very well for themselves. And the person who's done very well for themselves is usually quite busy and doesn't have 
a lot of time to mentor other people. And really, the only reason that someone who is successful in real estate investing would take the time to work with a newbie is because they might feel like they could get something out of it. And that was David Green's point, is that if you're a brand new person and you're one of many hundreds of people who want to pick the brain of somebody who's very successful, they're gonna need to get something out of that relationship because really they don't have time to mentor somebody else. And if there's nothing in it for them, what is the point? The problem is, is that new investors go into this thinking that someone who is highly successful in the business is going to want to look to be the parent of a newbie, that they somehow want to take care of that person and go on and share what they've learned and and be that special someone for a rookie in the field of real estate investing. And that's what he basically called out is that no one is looking to be your parent. No one needs to take care of you. And he was basically telling the rookies to not be looking for somebody who wants to take care of you and get nothing out of it because you'll be looking for a very long time. You have to bring something to the table in order for them to take time out of their busy days to talk to you. And I thought that was really honest because I think that that's true in a lot of relationships, that people are looking for the parent that they never had. They're looking for unconditional love. They're looking for someone to take care of them. And the reality is, as David Green points out, no one can do that for you except your parents. No one is that giving except for parents. And really, from his very savvy point of view, you are just an extension of your parents, so they're really just sort of loving and helping themselves anyway. But that's a whole other story. But I just thought this was so smart, the way he had pointed this out. And so this is some serious psychology about our narcissism and what we want other people to do for us. Now, I believe that the people who have the most friends in life are really good at people-pleasing, that they convince other people that they care so much about them and they're so interested in them. And sometimes I get these people in my practice where they will just compliment me high and low about everything that I do and how brilliant I am and all this stuff. And what usually happens is that I've felt this so many times that I'm no longer at a place where I take their compliments seriously. If somebody is complimenting me, and you know, it's one thing if we've had some kind of breakthrough session and a lot has happened, I can take a compliment like that. Like, wow, you really brought me to a place that 
I never thought I'd go and I'm so happy that I did and this feels like we did a lot of work. I can take that compliment because that's real. But I have people in my practice and I've had people in my practice all the time I've been in practice who will just kiss my ass and they make sure that they do it every time they come in and there will be times where I'm like okay like that was kind of a nothing session like it didn't really go anywhere and they'll tell me somehow that I'm brilliant my internal reaction at this phase in the game is that I immediately feel sorry for people who compliment me this much who overdo it because I realize that they have to that they have to seem like they care so much that they're so invested in me because this is how they've learned to survive in the world. They learned from a very young age that it could never be about them, that it had to be about the other people in order to be loved. And so it's worked for them forever and they still use it to get the love and to make the friends and all that stuff. But what ends up happening is the favor is never returned to the degree to which they love other people. Other people in their lives don't really lay it on as thick in return. And often people pleasers end up with narcissistic people for friends who just kind of keep taking the compliments and never return them. And that's really sad. But to take it a step further, the people pleasers are doing this to alleviate their own anxiety. They do not feel loved until someone sort of blushes and thanks them for compliments and gives it back to them. So it's not that they're not getting something out of it. They're getting their anxiety relieved and they are also feeling like they are being loved when people get happy about all the compliments. So yes, even people pleasers have narcissistic tendencies. I also think our society sort of feeds into the idea that we have to look like martyrs too. So recently it's come up, I have quite a few people in my practice who are very successful, very wealthy, are sort of self-made people who have really found success in life. And it sort of comes up for them too, that they have a lot of friends, family members, acquaintances, either coming to them to borrow money or coming to them for advice on how to be successful. And the issue is they don't want other people to see them like they're some kind of rich asshole who doesn't give back to others. And yet at the same time, as in David Green's dilemma, they don't have time to foster other people's success. They're busy maintaining their own success. And truthfully, there's a funny feeling they have inside because when people ask them for money or ask them for material things or expect them to always be the one to pay for dinner, 
they kind of feel used. And at the same time, they have this problem where they don't want to look like jerks for not giving up their money or their advice or whatever, because they have it. They have the advice, they have the money, they could help people out. But at the same time, they feel used a lot. And so there's this dilemma about like, I don't want to look like a narcissistic asshole, but at the same time, I'm not getting anything out of this relationship in which we go to dinner, I pay for the thing, and the person just asks me how they can be successful. And they don't ask me anything about me or how I'm doing or seem to care about how I'm doing. So how do I navigate this? And this is a real problem. Now, I love TV and movies, and you'll hear me reference all this stuff in my podcast a lot. But I'm not a huge fan of actors and the whole Hollywood scene. I really dislike what goes on and and what I see and what I hear. And one of the things that bothers me so much is when some actor comes out of the woodwork and talks about some political issue that they are outraged about. And you'll see them, you know, on Capitol Hill, pictures of them on Capitol Hill or pictures of them with some politician or pictures of them with some group of oppressed people somewhere. And it just so happens that they are about to release a movie or nobody's heard from them in a long time and they're losing relevance. And so they appear to be outraged about something and I feel like that is one of the most narcissistic moves and if people can't see that that's ridiculous it is so obvious what they are trying to do they're trying to stay relevant by appearing to be outraged about someone else's plight and I find that kind of disgusting if you ask me Now, obviously, the same thing could be said about politicians in general. When a politician comes out and is outraged about some issue, I can guarantee that they're not actually outraged, that this is an easy hot-button issue to get other people upset about that will get them to win elections or get people to vote a certain way that they would like that would help their cause, which would ultimately get them reelected. And so I think it's a bunch of crap. I think it's totally narcissism, but it works. I mean, it absolutely works. You know, it's, it's like, I think any politician could say, I'm outraged by child abuse. Child abuse is the worst thing in the world. And I think most people would actually agree with that. Even people who have abused children themselves would get on this bandwagon because usually they were abused as children and they remember a time when they were abused and they feel awful about it. And wow, here's a politician who can symbolize or who can be outraged for them and represent them and all of that. And so 
it is all just sort of narcissism, even from the perspective of the person who's been abused as a child, because it's their perspective that is being represented. So there's another really awesome book, and I probably mentioned it before, but it's Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. And I truly believe that this book can help any marriage. And basically what Gary Chapman does is he identifies all the different types of love languages. And there are five of them. It's gifts, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and physical touch. I believe that this book can fix any marriage, any partnership where the love has sort of gone south and it's not because anybody did anything wrong. It's because somehow the two of you lost each other somewhere along the way. And the way that you know what your love language is, is you can take a, a quiz online, but more simply, if you look at somebody who loves you and ask yourself, how do you know that they love you? And you think about what they would say or what they would do for you, then you know that's your love language. Now here's the problem. If you identify what your love language is, that does not mean that is your partner's love language. And so what happens is in a very narcissistic way, we might choose to give our partner our own love language. For example, if my love language is physical touch, that means that I need hugs, I need handholding, I need physical affection, all that stuff. And if my partner's love language is quality time and I don't bother spending time with my partner, I just make sure that I hug them all the time and hold hands and all that stuff, then it doesn't really mean anything to that person because I haven't spoken their love language. I'm only speaking my own. So this is really hard for couples. If they're very clear about what their own personal love language is, they will often try to do that for the other person and expect a thank you. When in fact, they're just being narcissistic and they're not speaking their partner's actual language. And that's how you love people. You love people by giving them what they need, not what you would need or what you think they would need, what they have told you they need. Listen to them. And so I think that this is sort of the answer for all of our relationships going forward. We are all narcissists. And I don't mean that diagnostically. We all have narcissistic tendencies. And in order for us to find true connection with other people and to really have a deep relationship and exchange, and it is an exchange with other people, we have to just genuinely be interested in them and know what other people need and give them what they need and listen to them and be interested in them and not be constantly worried about what we're going to get 
Now, if you evaluate a situation and you realize like you're in a relationship with somebody who just takes and takes and takes, then maybe it is time to get out. So it does serve you on some level to be a little bit narcissistic, to know what it is that you need and whether or not you're getting it, but also to be very clear about what other people around you need. And maybe they need you to listen, or maybe they just need you to be there by them and accept them for who they are. But if you do that, you will really find a truly deeper connection with others, and you will have really strong relationships with other people. And I wish you the best in your journey into connection. Be well, and thank you for listening.